Blog Talk Radio. Enter the zone. The Prophecy Zone. Your end time watchman. Bringing you light in a dark world. Where truth is rivaled with a lie. And the matrix is normal life. Luke 21. And there shall be signs in the sun, and in the moon, and in the stars. And upon the earth distress of nations, with perplexity. The sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear, and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken, and then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud, with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. You are now in the zone. So be ready to enter the light or truth about the end of days, so you will be ready for the coming of the Lord. You are in the zone, the prophecy zone. So join us for the next hour as we look at world events in line with Bible prophecy, so you'll be informed and be ready for the coming of Jesus Christ. Hello, everybody. This is Brenda Johnson, and this is As the Day Approaches. I want to welcome everyone to this broadcast today. I have a lot to share with you. We are continuing our study on Israel. I'm going to update you with a few uh, notes, a few newscasts, and then I'm going to go right into our study today. We are actually going to go into a study on the book of Ezekiel, chapters 34 through 36 the mountains of Israel. We know those uh, that as the West Bank today. And it is going to be an interesting show for you. So nice day here as I sit here and uh, talk to all of you today. I want to first update you on what's going on with the Palestinian um, statehood. I want to bring to your attention one particular news article that I found on uh, the U.S. News Report. It says this, Washington, uh, the Obama administration is getting little help from any quarter, let alone its ally Israel. As it pleads for a fresh start in Israeli-Palestinian peace talks that could avert a veto showdown over the Palestinians' unilateral bid for statehood recognition at the United Nations, already disappointment by Palestinian distaste for the the new U.S.-backed proposal to resume long-stalled negotiations, the administration was taken back anew on Tuesday, this is September 27th, 2011, uh, when Israel announced plans to construct new Jewish housing units in East Jerusalem. Now we know East Jerusalem is the uh, is occupied not occupied uh, in 1967. East Jerusalem was recaptured by Israel. It has been occupied from 1948 until 1967 by Jordan. And now 
they're talking about we are, uh, that the Israelis are actually occupying East Jerusalem when in fact they gained back what they lost after they became a nation and Jordan and several other countries came to attack Israel. So this is what we're talking about today. The Israeli move made a hard job even harder for the United States, and the United States is what I'm a part of, which is trying to protect Israel from a UN vote on Palestinian statehood that Israel bitterly opposes. Secretary of State Hillary Rodham Clinton called the housing announcement counterproductive to a new peace talks. The only path to Palestinian statehood, she says, um, the U U.S. and Israel say they may accept. She said it's counterproductive, and I have a, a, a bit to say about that. Uh, how many uh, of us would uh, tell a nation which is not a nation or a people which is not a nation uh that they can own, they can have statehood when there is no state. How many of us would be offended if we, it is our country, and we are told we cannot build houses on the, that particular land? This is what's going on in this um, situation. Palestinians claim East Jerusalem as the capital of their future state, and the expansion of Israeli built housing there is among the most explosive issues keeping the two sides from making a deal. And I would uh, like to say about that is that is not the most explosive thing that is keeping uh, the two sides from making a deal. The most explosive thing is terrorism. Terrorism and the fact that the Arab states, the Palestinians, uh, and all the surrounding states do not think that Israel is legitimate or should be there in that area to begin with. So that is not really uh, the explosive issue. That is actually, I think, a decoy to distract and make the Palestinians look as though they are being victims in this particular situation. <clears throat> The, the, the Palestinians have never claimed East Jerusalem as their capital, and since they had it in 1948 up to 1967, they never had any interest in making East Jerusalem their capital. It was Amman, which was their capital, which is about 40 miles north. The Palestinians who have been demanding a freeze and settlement activity to return to the table said the announcement of 1,100 new Jewish housing units proved Israel isn't interested in talks. The Israeli announcement met with swift criticism from the U.S. and the European Union, which along with the United States and Russia formed the International Quartet of Middle East Mediators. The quartet proposed a new formula for talks last week after the Palestinians submitted that their bid for recognition and UN membership at the UN Security Council. This morning's announcement by the government of Israel Clinton says 
is counterproductive to our efforts to resume negotiations between the parties. We have long urged both sides to avoid any kind of action which could undermine trust, including and perhaps most particularly in Jerusalem, any action that could be reviewed as provocative by either side. Now, this is really one-sided because uh, the Palestinians have been uh, very provocative in their terrorist activity, and the Arab states have been provocative to Israel, but yet we don't report that. Expressing some frustration, Clinton told reporters at the State Department that we have been here before over many years. She was referring to a similar Israeli announcements that have uh, goaded the Americans and further hardened the Palestinian position. But she added that the difficulties in making progress on a two-state agreement only reinforces that our focus must remain working to convince the parties to return to direct negotiations. It's kind of interesting that she would say that because um, Abbas is not willing to have any negotiations. Abbas is actually saying we are not going to talk uh, to Israel unless they stop um, building in the West Bank, unless they pull out, unless they do a whole lot of things that they won't even come to the table. Uh, So this is not, if you hear something in the background, that is my little puppy. He is quite noisy at the moment. Uh, Okay, the White House added that it was deeply disappointed by the Israeli announcement, which came less than a week after the quartet proposal for renewed talks with firm deadlines for progress. Each side is the dispute is in dispute between Palestinians and Israelis should take steps that bring them closer to direct negotiations to resolve the issues that stand in the way of Palestinian statehood and a secure Jewish state of Israel. Spokesman Carney told reporters aboard Air Force One, one, whether either side takes unilateral action that makes it harder to achieve that, we make our views known. So if you have listened to any of what is being said by uh, Mahmoud Abbas, he is saying that we are going after a unilateral uh, withdrawal in a, a state. We're not asking for negotiations. We're demanding a state. So the Palestinians are not willing to have negotiations, yet it is pushed on to Israel to come to the table and to give up on their side. Israel's interior ministry said the homes would be built in Gilo, a sprawling Jewish enclave in southeast Jerusalem and construction could begin in two months. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu ruled out any new freeze in settlement construction, a key Palestinian demand, raising tensions and further challenging the U.S. and its quartet partners. What this is saying is that we as the United States, me in particular, I know that people from other countries are actually listening to me speak. We as a nation have lost our influence in the world in this situation, and I do not believe that the quartet is actually going to negotiate anything here or be able to have much power at this point. I think it's kind of a waste of time. Now, standing alongside Clinton, Portuguese Foreign Minister of Palo Portas acknowledged that the Israel's move Tuesday 
amounted to a setback. When you have a real chance for negotiations, which, mind you, they never have because uh, the Palestinians are refusing to negotiate at this point, you avoid hostile measures to negotiations. Hmm. Kind of a waste of, of uh, discussion here. Portis told reporters at the State Department, and the settlement decision is not a good one. Portugal, one of the 15 UN Security Council members, supports talks based on the quartet's parameters, but also would consider an upgrade of the Palestinian position in the United Nations as a sign of goodwill to negotiate, he said. The quartet had hoped that the new talks aimed at creating a Palestinian state would persuade the Palestinians to put their separate bid for UN recognition on hold, which they are not going to do. The proposal envisions the Israelis the proposal envisions the Israelis and Palestinians agreeing on an agenda and parameters for peace talks within a month and producing comprehensive proposals on territory and security within three months. The quartet said it then expected the parties to have made substantial progress within six months. The goal would be to have a peace deal no later than the end of 2012. Interesting year that um, they're predicting this to be the end of negotiations. Now, by endorsing the quartet proposal, the Obama administration may have managed to buy a little time, but it may also have maneuvered itself into a corner. Committing to those detailed deadlines raises potential unrealistic hopes for success and locks the administration into a process that will play out as President Barack Obama fights for re-election next year. But even worse would be rejection of the proposal by the Israelis and Palestinians, which is what appears to be happening. For the U.S., the quartet statement was a small victory after weeks of disappointment and days of intense negotiations that failed to stop Palestinian leader Mahmoud Abbas from formally seeking statehood recognition for Palestine. And I'm going to tell you right now, he is not going to stop. Uh, seeking this because he is he is going after the 1922 or 1917 armistice laws uh, lines, which they refused back then when Israel agreed. But now things have changed, and Israel is not agreeing to that any longer. So it was never put into action in the first place. The UN route to statehood is vehem vehemently. I can't speak vehemently opposed to Israel, which wants to uh, wants a say in how and where the future state is created. The United States, as Israel's strongest ally and chief defender of the UN, has acted as bulwark. That put the Obama administration at odds with the Abbas government it supports, and on the wrong side of public opinion among Arab and Muslim publics Obama has courted. The quartet statement took note of Abbas's an, a, a submission to the UN Security Council, but did not mention it further. The U.S. has vowed to veto the move to the Security Council, which is expected to take up the matter again on Wednesday. So they're moving along, and they're going to move along with this. So this is this is a highlight on what is uh, continuing to happen within this uh, Palestinian statehood and how it's progressing. 
and it will progress forward. Like I said uh, last week, could take up a month. It could be held out, but I think they're pushing really fast to uh, make uh, themselves. Uh, acceptable into the General Assembly, and then they're going to proceed quickly, as quickly as they can. So in light of that, I want to go into the discussion that we're going to have today on the mountains of Israel in Ezekiel 34 through 36, 37. I've got a, you know, I had about 10 different um, sources that I have uh, gleaned information from, but there are two that I want to narrow down. There is one, um, uh, what do I call it? It's a a list of different signs that I found. It's called Miraculous Signs in Israel. It is found on the Internet, and I wanted to go through these signs first before we go into the discussion. If you're interested in in knowing some of the information that I'm getting, uh, I want to suggest to you a book that we're going to launch this discussion on um, called Jerusalem Rushing Toward the Midnight Hour. Now, I've spoken about uh, some information and insight that I've gleaned out of this book in one of my programs, but I want to take you a little further, I want to narrow it down in the mountains of Israel and give you some insight that I have gained from this book. Some places I will quote directly, and other places I will be adding uh, my own uh, opinion and my own uh, statement. So uh, in in this discussion, keep in mind that it is launching off of Chapter 2 in this book by Robert Smith. I encourage anyone to get this particular book. It's a real small book. It's only about hmm, 219 pages. So it's really not a very big book. It's actually got large writing in it as well. So I think they tried to stretch it out to 119 page, or 219 pages uh, just to make it uh, look like it had... Um, more information in it than it does, but the information that it has in there is very good. So I just want to uh, bring your attention to that particular book. I want to give you some of the signs of uh, that are happening in Israel that we need to be aware of in this day and this time. Sign number one, the diaspora. The Bible prophesied the Jewish diaspora. The nation of Israel would dwell for many years outside of their country and promised land. We've seen that for 2,000 years. And in 1948, um, give and take a few years, it actually started uh, after the fall of the Ottoman Empire in 1917. And uh, in 1922, they were working out, uh, the the British Empire was working out uh, lines, drawing lines for Israel as a nation, as they were doing for many other countries uh, in that area. Many of them are Arab countries that they are dividing and giving them independence, including a lot of countries in North Africa and in the Middle East area. After the time that they're in the diaspora uh, and time had elapsed, 
the people of Israel would return to their ancient possession. This is Bible prophecy. The predictions were exact and complete in making the nation's return a supernatural happening, and it happened in our age. This is a modern miracle, and they were just, they were dispersed for over 1,900 years, and now they are again in their land. Amazing. And if you saw the clip that I have attached to uh, my uh, advertisement for my show, which is on a lot of uh, groups and Facebook, also my personal Facebook site, I put a clip on um, uh, what's happening in Israel. It's an aerial view of all that is going on in Israel, meaning building and what it actually looks like today. It's amazing. It's amazing how much it has grown, how vibrant it is, and I wanted to bring your attention to that so that you can see what is actually going on in Israel. In Hosea 3, verses 4 and 5, it says, For the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or idol. Afterward, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. Hosea 6.1 says, Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our, our wounds. Now, to see the rest of the passage fulfilled, Israel needs only to, re, uh, to turn to God. David, to become their king once again, there will be a resurrection from the dead, meaning their spirit, a new heart, you know, a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone, and they will seek after the Lord. Now, there is one very, very important thing that has not happened in Israel right now, and that is the rebuilding of the temple, which is uh, a focal point for their um, worship of the Lord their God. So there is a big controversy on the Temple Mount, and we, we will have another show to talk about what is going to happen with the Temple Mount? What is going, you know, are they preparing to build the, the third temple? The, uh, and so we're going to talk about all that in uh, the, uh, in a couple uh, episodes uh, further down the line. Um, side number two is return the return. The hundreds and perhaps thousands of Bible passages predict the return of Israel to the land of Palestine. Here are only two of them. Ezekiel 20:34 says, I will bring you from the nations and gather you from the countries where you have been scattered with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with outpoured wrath. Isaiah 11:11 11, 11 through verse 12, this is out of the NIV, in that day, the Lord will reach out his hand and a second time to reclaim the remnant that is left of his people from Assyria, from Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, from Babylonia, from Hamath, and from the islands of the sea. He will raise the banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four quarters of the earth. Amazing how we're seeing that in this day. Sign number three, 
buying back the land. The prophet Jeremiah prophesied about 600 years B.C. just as the nation of Judah was being destroyed and the people taken captive into the land of Babylon. He spoke of a day when the Jews would once again purchase land within the ancient territory. That is precisely what returning Jews did. Starting nearly a century ago, they bought back the land. Here it is in Jeremiah 32:44 in the NIV. Fields will, will be bought for silver and deeds will be signed, sealed, and witnessed in the territory of Benjamin, in the villages around Jerusalem, in the towns of Judah, in and in the towns of the hill country, and the western foothills, and the Negev, because I will restore their fortunes, declares the Lord. Sign number four, Israel, reborn in a day. Israel, a nation that had not really existed as a separate nation for nearly 2,500 years, was declared a new sovereign state by an act of the United Nations on May 14, 1948. The nation was born in a day. Even though it took a little bit of time to work out the details, it was signed and it was born as a nation in a day. Isaiah 66, 8 says this, Who has ever heard of such a thing? Who has ever seen such such things? Can a country be born in a day or a nation be bought forth in a moment, brought forth in a moment? Yet no sooner is Zion in labor than she gives birth to her children. Sign number five. The order of the return. The first returning Jews to Palestine came primarily from Eastern Arab countries. The next major movement came from the Western countries of Europe, especially Germany. Then they came in great numbers from Russia, North, and uh, I remember in the 80s how we um, did a big push to get a lot of Jewish people from Russia. Um, The Jews for Jesus, and then there's an international, I can't remember what it was called, but they actually uh, flew Jewish families into Israel. I do remember that, and our church in Nashville was part of that at that time. Yeah, and that was during the during the eighties and towards the end of that. The last great migration of Jews returning to Israel came from Ethiopia in the south. This precise order of return was predicted by Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah forty three, five through six and verse twenty one says this Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Amazing. The people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. Psalm 107, 2 through 3. Let the redeemed of the Lord say this, those he redeemed from the land of the foe, those he gathered from the lands, from east and west, from north and south. Sign number six, 
And there are 10 signs, by the way. Sign number six, a pure language. With the return of the nation, the ancient Hebrew language has been revived and become the official language of the state. Prior to this happening, the Jews spoke of an impure form of the language called Yiddish. The return to a pure common language was again predicted by the prophets. Zephaniah 3, 8 through 10 in the KJV says this, For then will I turn to the people a, a pure language that they make all call upon the name of the Lord to serve him with one consent from beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my supplements, even the daughter of my dispersed shall bring mine offering. Sign number seven, the shekel. After nearly 2,000 years, the shekel has been reinstated as the common monetary unit in Israel again, just as predicted. Ezekiel 45, verses 12 through 16 in the NIV says this, the shekel is to consist of 20 geras, I don't know if I said that right, 20 shekels plus 25 shekels plus 15 shekels equal one mina. All the people of the land will participate in this special gift for the use of the prince of Israel. Even down to the precise coins, these signs are happening. Sign number eight, named cities of Israel. Now, there are many cities in Israel that bear the ancient names of previous Jewish cities. Some of these that bear their biblical identification include Cana, Nazareth, Jericho, Nain, Bethany, Bethlehem, Hebron, Gaza, etc. Again, as the ancient nation was in the process of being destroyed, Ezekiel the prophet predicted that many of the ancient cities would in fact be re-inhabited and settled in the exact locations. Here it is in Ezekiel 36, verse 11, and verse 24 in the King James Version. And I will multiply upon you man and beast, and they shall increase and bring fruit. And I will settle to you after your old estates, and will do better unto you than all your beginnings. And ye shall know that I am the Lord, for I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries, and I will bring you into your own land. Find number nine. Cities expected never to be inhabited. Yeshua pronounced the curse on at least three cities within the land. These three remain in ruins today. And here is, is those uh, predictions. This is in Matthew eleven twenty one through twenty three in the NIV. This is this is Jesus speaking. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes, and you, Capernaum, will be lifted up to the, to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. 
sign number 10. From desolation to productivity. This is why I I don't know what the name of this film that I have, uh, this piece, this clip, this aerial uh, clip of Israel is called, actually. Uh, but it's very well done, and it's included in the Prophecy Zone. If you go to that group under my, uh, uh, where we can click on the radio show, there is a clip of this. It's amazing to see the productivity there in Israel today. The restoration of the agriculture and the trees and forests of Israel have been another remarkable miracle. Scarcely 75 years ago, the land was a desolate waste full of malarial swamps and deserts. Today, the replanted forests are flourishing and the Israeli agriculture production is one of the great wonders of the world. The tiny country exports quality produce around the world. Should we say, again, just as predicted? So let's see where it was predicted. Isaiah 26, verse 6 in the NIV. In days to come, Jacob will take root. Israel will bud and blossom and fill all the world with fruit. Isaiah 35, 1 and 2. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. Amazing. That is quite amazing to see these miracles. So we have to consider when we look at these miracles that the hand of God is on this land right now. And we are witnessing a miraculous time in this country. It will, it, will, it will end with some things that we need to be aware of. And Revelation, Daniel, was written for this day in this time. We are going to see amazing things happening. So, what does Ezekiel 34 and 36 have to contribute to all these signs that are happening? I want to discuss this because this is quite prominent in the news today about the mountains of Israel. And the mountains of Israel is talked about in Ezekiel. And I also want to share with you that the book of Ezekiel, I've been a Christian for uh, over 35 years now, and I've I'm an apologist. I actually um, uh, have a gift of apologetics where I can debate and um, present the truth and discuss it. I also have the gift of evangelism and prophecy and uh, uh, discernment. So with these gifts, I uh, was able, you know, I read the scriptures and able to articulate them and and, uh, uh, give a message from them. But there was one book that I had a very difficult time understanding, and that was actually the book of Ezekiel. I don't know why the Lord had kind of had kept it veiled from me for for a while. And um, this year, or the last two years, the revelation that is coming forth from this book and the understanding that I I and receiving of this particular book is amazing. I think it is on purpose that the Holy Spirit is actually giving us insight 
into what is happening in this world today and Ezekiel. From the uh, chapter 2, Jordan and the West Bank is what the chapter is called in Robert Smith's book, Jerusalem Rushing Toward the Midnight Hour. He has a quote from a, a guy named Joseph D. D. Corsi. He was a junior editor of the Intelligent Digest, and he said this, I've come to the conclusion that what is happening in the Middle East is going to bring the world to its last battle. I know nothing about the Bible. I draw this conclusion from the data we gather from the digest. So he knows nothing from the Bible, but yet he believes that what is happening in the Middle East is going to bring about the last battle just by the fact of uh, receiving articles and information from people who are posting in his uh, digest, the Intelligent Digest. That's amazing to see someone who is secular to say, is saying this. Now, we have said that Israel is God's time clock. Nowhere is this so evident as it is in the events involving what is known today as the West Bank. Today, it is the issue of the territories, as they are called, that the world is on alert. The West Bank, or in biblical terms, the mountains or Judea or in Samaria have become the defining event of our time. No issue has caught the world's attention like the Palestinian issue and the resulting terrorism in Israel since World War II. The longer it goes, the more diplomats try to resolve the problem, no matter whether whether it's the United States, the UN, the UE, Russia, or the Muslim states such as Egypt or Saudi Arabia, the situation only gets worse, and we're, we're seeing this happen. The crisis would not be so difficult if it were not for two factors which interplay in the picture. One is the involvement of the Marxist-type revolutionary tactic and propaganda that has been so successful in disrupting peace in many nations during the Cold War, throwing off capitalism, class warfare, and social change. So that's what is the the, the um, uh, Marxist-type revolutionary tactic, where they throw off certain social norms and call it a revolution. Okay. Such tactics have been defeated in most areas, but it is still playing a major role in the volatile Middle East. Why? Well, there's two factors. One, nations sympathizing with leaders who practice terrorism and claiming victimization by means of gaining world support. That is one reason. And the second factor is a 4,000-year-old hate perpetrated which is taught um, and propagated among the Arab and Muslim people. Although Jordan has become aware of its error in taking the West Bank during the 1948 war and has tried to back out of the issue, it must be remembered, and it's very important, that it was in fact Jordan whose action started this whole debacle in the first place. It will be interesting to watch the future development of this crisis and Jordan's involvement. Concerning Jordan of the last days, there is a fascinating paradox in the scriptures. In Ezekiel 35, God promises judgment on Mount Seir. Seir is in South Jordan. 
Jordan will be punished severely for her role in shedding the blood of the children of Israel, Ezekiel 35.5, and appointing my land into their possession, Ezekiel 35.6.5. Still, there is a prophetic uh, promise that in some sense Jordan will be spared from the Antichrist. Kind of an interesting take on that. And will protect the fleeing Jews from the West Bank or Judea. This protection by God and involving at least the territory of Jordan is no uh, is uh, <clears throat> no state itself, but will it, it will be for three and a half years during the reign of the Antichrist. Now, here are some of the scriptures that I want to share with you in regard to that. Daniel eleven forty one. He, the Antichrist, will also invade the beautiful land. Many countries will fall, but Edom, Moab, and the leaders of Ammon will be delivered from his hand. Kind of interesting, because it seems like those countries right now are uh, playing a significant role in the Middle East. Matthew 24:15. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Now, Isaiah 16, 1-4 says this, Send lambs as tribute to the ruler of the land, from Selah across the desert to the mountain of the daughter of Zion. Like fluttering birds pushed from the nest, so are the women of Moab at the fords of, the, of Ammon. Give us counsel, render a decision, make your shadow like night at high noon. Hide the the fugitives, do not betray the refugees. Let the mobile fugitives stay with you. Be their shelter from the destroyer. The oppressor will come to an end, and destruction will cease. The aggressor will vanish from the land. And then the last one I want to just throw out here for you is in Revelation 12, 14 through 17. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert where she would be taken care of for a time, times and a half a time out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth, the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Now we're not going to get into pre-post-mid-trib. I'm not really a pre-tribber, but... Um, if we go before the tribulation, I am more than excited and more than ready to go. Uh, I just see a lot of suffering that the church is going to go through uh, in Revelation, Daniel. Um, and it's not just Israel, but it's those who are saved. So we're not going to talk about that today. We are talking about Israel. Okay, many are not aware that years ago Jordan has been given control over the coveted Temple Mount, which rankers both Palestinians and the Jews alike. Because of this fact, no peace negotiations can be seriously attempted without the involvement of Jordan. It remains to be seen how Jordan will react and how strong her commitment is to have peace with Israel until the final solution. 
Prophecies concerning the West Bank and Jordan can readily be found. By examining them closely, which we're going to do today, we find more of these fantastic prophecies. For instance, there are specific promises made to Israel concerning borders that were promised to her during the days of her return back to to the land. These exact borders become great uh, you know, a great matter of uh, controversy. And we have shown in, you know, and I've just kind of shown you in some instances, and we I will show you as we go along what the controversy is. We actually see this playing out before us. But and it's not only between peoples, but it's also between God and the people and, and the land. Um, an examination you know, of the background and history of the covenant which God made concerning the land will help us understand what is actually going on. The Lord God made Abraham a certain promise at that time. In Genesis 13, verses 4 through 15, he said, And where he had first built an altar, there Abraham called the name of the Lord. <clears throat> now, Lot, who was moving about with Abram, <clears throat> excuse me, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abraham's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Lot. The Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at the time. So Abraham said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me, or between your herdsmen and mine, for we are brothers. Is it not the whole land is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Look, and Lot looked up and saw the whole plain of the of the Jordan, uh, that the Jordan was well watered, like the gardens of the Lord, like the land of Egypt towards Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tent near Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. Excuse me. The Lord said to Abraham after Lot had parted from him, Lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south, east and west. All the land that you will see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abraham Abram moved his tents and went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord. Now, where was Abraham standing at that time? He was standing at that moment at the high place of Bethel, in what is now known as the West Bank, or Jordan. Now, see, do you see the seriousness of separating the West Bank from the promise of God to Abraham and making it a separate state from Israel? If we were to leave out Israel's borders, the area known as the West Bank, we would eliminate from God's promise to Abraham not only the very spot where he was standing, but all the land northward, southward, and eastward, Therefore, 
we would leave out the promise um, such cities as um, Shiloh, where the ark rested before the temple was built, Bethel, where Jacob saw heaven, Hebron, David's first throne and burial place of Abraham, Sarah, and others, Judea, uh, all of the mountains of Israel, Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, Jerusalem, where the temple stood. This covenant was confirmed to Abraham by God in chapter 12 and repeated again in chapter 15 of Genesis, where the borders were set from the Euphrates River in Iraq, the river of Egypt, the Nile was promised to to Abraham's seed. So that was a great space, bigger than what Israel stands right now. The very land had been possessed by the sons of Abram, Abram ever since. We must remember that the Arabs are also sons of Abraham, as are the Edomites. If this fact was made clear and accepted by both the Jews and Arabs, instead of Israel implying that the border should extend from the Nile to Euphrates, it would simplify things in the Middle East. While it is the... um, Excuse me. Um, In the millennial, it is thought that Israel will possess what is known today as great, greater Israel from the Nile to the Euphrates. Uh, But Israel is claiming that right now. So um, in the millennial period, um, it's more directed that they'll be um, uh, having that piece of land. The the present state was only promised what Abraham could see from Bethel and what was included in Jacob's possession, namely the land of Canaan. And this is in Ezekiel 37:25. So, um, <clears throat> what Abraham was seeing that he was choosing from Lot was what is included in Jacob's possession, the land of Canaan. And this is this disputed lands right now. It's not the land of Jordan. The land of Jordan, the boundary lines where Jordan is sitting, is actually the home of the Edomites and some of the sons of Abrams, but of the Arab tribes. But it's not uh, Jacob's. In Ezekiel 37:25, it says, "They will live in the land I gave my servant, servant Jacob, the land where your fathers lived. They and their children and their children's children will live there forever, and David, my servant, will be their prince forever." While all the Middle Middle East was promised to all of Abraham's sons, the land which was shown Abraham from the position at Bethel, that little bridge of land on the Mediterranean coast and extending eastward to the Jordan River was promised to Isaac alone. Isaac was Abraham's miracle son, if we remember, in in Genesis 17, verses 7 and 8, while speaking of an everlasting covenant. This gives promise, and it says, this is the promise. It says, I will establish my covenant 
as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you are now an alien, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. In verse 21, the Lord makes the covenant promise specifically to Isaac, who had not yet been born. But my covenant will I establish with Isaac. The same promise was affirmed to Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. Therefore, the promise is extended to the 12 sons and their tribes, who are better known as the 12 tribes of Israel. The motivation to keep themselves a separate race and return to the land is found in verse 9. Then God said to Abram, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants, after you for the generation to come. We see it as an obligation pressed upon the Jewish people by God himself, inspired of international community interface to forever possess the land of promise in the latter days of the return. That is the author's opinion of this. And he says, according to Leviticus 25, 23 through 24, the land was never to be sold, nor was a foreign possession ever to be allowed. It was forever to remain the heritage of Abraham's seed through Isaac and Jacob says Leviticus, the land must not be sold permanently because the land is mine and you are but aliens and my tenants. Throughout the country that you hold as a possession, you must provide for the redemption of the land. So that's Leviticus 25, 23 through 24. God blessed Ishmael also, and we know this because as the scripture says, he is the father of the Arabs, and gave them all the rest of the land of the Middle East. However, Scripture foresees he would be a wild race with his hand against every man. And because of this wilderness, every man's hand would be against him. This has always been an accurate assessment of the spirit of the Arabian people. Genesis 16, verses 10 through 12 the angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now with child, and you will have a son, and you shall name him Ishmael. He was talking to Hagar. For the Lord has heard your misery, and he will be a, he will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. And we see this in the line today. <clears throat> now, while the Bible is, is, is full of reference to this promise and the covenant between God, Abraham and his posterity, especially as it concerns with the city of Jerusalem, the Temple Mount, the Promised Land, the current in the Promised Land, the Quran has no mention of Jerusalem whatsoever, and that is from the Arabic people. However, the Quran does agree that the city and land must belong to the Jews in the latter time. Surah 5 says this, the table 
uh, it describes the land reserved for the Jews and also blesses the Jews in the land and forecasts the return to the land. It also says that all of this will happen in the end of days. Kind of interesting that the Quran actually supports uh, Israel coming back to the land. Yet, at the same time, Islam is trying to get rid of Israel and get them out of the land. <clears throat> now, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 30 and 31, uh, God promises to bless the Jewish people in their land. However, he also promised a curse upon them if they failed to obey his laws and commandments for which they were to be dispersed from the land into all nations. From there, they would return to the land in the last days. Accordingly, now, because of their disobedience, the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, was allowed to come into Israel, sack Jerusalem, destroy the temple, and possess the land. In order to break the power of the Jews in the land, Nebuchadnezzar carried captive all influential Jews out of the land and into Babylon. Assyria, before Babylon, had already defeated and occupied the northern ten tribes of Israel. Babylon was the first of four great kingdoms which Daniel saw occupying in succession the land of Israel. In all, seven great empires would possess and occupy the land before the final days. The seven heads in the Beast of Revelation represent these seven. During these occupations, which lasted from 856 B.C. to the present, the Jews were allowed to live in the land for the most part, but they were only counted as a province of the ruling power. Even today, the occupiers of the land are foreigners. The Jerusalem Post um, that um, Robert Smith has in his book, uh, it's from July 1994, because his book actually was written, um, uh, let me see, uh, in 2004. But he has this post in here from 1994, says, uh, and it's in the page six records, it says, President, uh, present Palestinians are Syrian colonists sent by Rome to defeat Bar Kochaba. 132 AD, Rome changed the name from Judea to Palestine and kicked out the Jews. <clears throat> That's where it got the name Palestine. Excuse me. The Jews were then dispersed into the entire world and the land of Israel till it totally occupied by foreigners until now. Throughout time since 586 BC, the land has been occupied by the Assyrians the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, Byzantines, the Muslims, the Crusaders, and the Turkish Ottomans. Now finally, until 1948, the Allied forces of Europe and the Western Alliances occupied it. Now, there's a great story that I wanted to pull out of this book for you. And uh, it, it tells you how God really worked at, you know, first establishing uh, the, the military conquer, uh, conquest, I guess, in Israel. <clears throat> Excuse me. We read in the Bible many um, miraculous stories of how God rescued 
the Jews and Israel from their oppressors or from their occupiers or from, you know, like the Philistines and <clears throat> how Gideon uh, just used used uh, used a small number to to get rid of the uh, occupiers and to rescue Israel from from the hands of their enemies. This is one such story. In his book, <coughs> excuse me, hold on a second. Sorry about that. In this story, World War I saw the fall of Ottoman Turks who had joined Germany. Now, this is a true story. General Allen By of the British Army was sent to what is now Cairo with orders to deliver Jerusalem from Turk control. Allen By, a very pious and religious man with great respect of, of the holy places of Jerusalem, sent a telegram to King George of England and asked how he might drive the Turk, Turks out of the city without doing damage to the holy places. The king responded in a telegram that read, make it a matter of prayer. Allen By retired to his quarters after giving orders that he was not to be disturbed and after a night of earnest prayer felt the Lord was going to help him deliver the city without destruction. Allen By moved his troops to the Jordan Plains just across from Jericho, built a bridge across the Jordan River, a bridge named after him, and in existence today, and prepared to march up to Jerusalem. At the disposal were six small aircraft of the old World War type. With old open cockpit and double wings, Allenby sent those crafts in reconnaissance over Jerusalem to locate the Turk positions and to drop pamphlets in Arabic warning the people of his intent to take Jerusalem. By this time, Allenby had moved his troops to a spot still identified today just north of the old city of Jerusalem. The Turks, never having actually seen a plane, did not know what they were, were and thought they might be from heaven. To add to their superstitious notions, the name Allenby, or Allen Bai, I'm not sure which, pronounced in Arabic sounded like Allah Bai, <clears throat> means servant of the Lord. The servant of the Lord coming was what it sounded like to the Turks who spoke Arabic. As they read pamphlets dropped from the sky, they interpreted the information to mean that the servant of Allah was coming and demanding that they lay down arms. When the little noisy planes came buzzing down over the housetops of Jerusalem, it so frightened the Turks that they abandoned Jerusalem, totally vacating the city. General Allen by and his troops were completely knowledgeable of the retreat of the Turks. The next morning, the army was in preparation to enter the city. Early in the morning, the cook, an Irishman, found he was in need of eggs. Hearing roosters crowing, he said to himself, hey, where there are roosters, there are eggs. So he proceeded toward Jerusalem to find some eggs. Suddenly, he was met by a delegation out of Jerusalem that included the mayor and many of the city officials. To his surprise, 
they handed him the keys to the city of Jerusalem. He argued with them that he only came for eggs. They would have to see General Allenby for their business. Eventually, Allenby was called, and to his great delight, the city surrendered with only a little bit of fire. God had answered Allenby's prayer in a most marvelous way, but more than that, and of greater interest to us, he had also fulfilled in detail a most fascinating verse of prophecy. Isaiah the prophet, while foreviewing the events of the last days surrounding Israel's return to the land and the eventual deliverance of Jerusalem from Gentile occupation, saw a fascinating scene that very closely parallels the events just described. In Isaiah chapter 31 and verse 5, we read this. Like birds hovering over, the Lord Almighty will shield Jerusalem. He will shield it and deliver it. He will pass over it and rescue it. And uh, the author, Robert Smith, is is attributing this verse to that story and the planes that flew over. Kind of a little stretch, but there's some point to it. Now, at that time, with England firmly in control of the Holy Land, the allies of World War I gave her mandate over the land. A strong move to declare Palestine a homeland for the Jews began to come to the forefront, led by Theodore Herzl, father of modern political Zionism. In convening a Jewish Congress in 1897, Herzl declared... The object of Zionism is to establish for the Jewish people a publicly and legally assured home in Palestine. When the war ended, after carnage, blockage, blockade, and starvation, with the pro- programs, executions, and wholesale deportations, it seemed impossible to sustain Jewish corporate life in Europe. <clears throat> now, there's a weird word in there called program, programs, and I'll tell you what that means. It is a form of violent riot, a mob attack directed against a particular group, whether ethnic, religious, or other, and characterized by killings and destruction of their homes and properties, business and religious centers. The term usually carries connotation of spontaneous hatred within the majority population against certain, usually ethnic, minorities, which they see as dangerous and harming the interests of the majority. So the Jews were considered uh, that minority. And so a need for the homeland was very necessary, not only for the sake of Israel as a nation in 1948 after World War II, uh, it solidified that, but that thought had already been uh, percolating in the minds of other countries that the Jews were not being treated well. Now, the Balfour Declaration of 1917, however, held forth for the Jewish people a new glowing vision of hope of a homeland. In Palestine, the Balfour Declaration of 1917, it was dated exactly on November 7, or 2nd, 
1917, was a letter from the British Foreign Secretary Arthur James Balfour to Baron Rothschild, Walter Rothschild, second Baron Rothschild, to be exact, a leader of the British Jewish community, for the transmission to the Zionist Federation of Great Britain and Ireland. That's what the Balfour Declaration was. It was a, a letter to establish uh, a homeland for the Jews in Palestine. And that was the beginning of that. So in 1917, that actually started the process. Now, five years later, the newly established League of Nations confirmed the, the declaration and mandated all of Palestine as a homeland for the Jews. This did not seem to settle the Jewish problem in Europe, though. It took World War II and the Holocaust to bring the world attention to the needs of the Jewish people. By this time, the League of Nations no longer existed, and the United Nations, with its headquarters in New York City, had taken its place. On November 29, 1947, after three world-rocking days of debate, it seemed the whole world stood against the mandate designating Palestine as a homeland for the Jews. Suddenly, the Soviet Union took an unexpected turn and in an action that could not be easily explained, joined the United States in re recommending Palestine as a home for the Jews. Amazing, I bet you didn't know that particular information. On the Memorial Day of May 15, 1948, the State of Israel was born. For the first time in over 25 centuries, the flag of David was raised over the Holy Land. The Jews had their homeland again. It is of singular interest to note that very date was the day that had been set aside by the Jews for nearly 2,000 years as the day that had been set aside uh, that they celebrated the promised return. The budding of the fig tree was symbolized it's a symbol of that celebration. And that's why it says when you see the budding of the the uh, fig tree, know that your redemption is nigh. Uh, so there is actually a literal reason or representation of the budding of the fig tree. With that in mind, let us uh, refer to Jesus' words in Matthew 24, 32, and 33. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near, right at the door. And you, we have to really listen to this. We have to listen to God's word and what, it, what Jesus has said for us to watch for in these times. We are to watch for his coming, but we are also to be made aware of what is happening and uh, so that we can be a light in the dark, a dark place in these last days, that we will uh, uh, join in what God is doing on the earth in this day and this time. I'm sure you've heard that it's not by accident that we're all here at this time. And this 
date. Um, and so know that you have a significant role in these days. So we need to pay attention and we need to be prepared. I tell you the truth, he says, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. There's debate about what that generation is. I am more and more thinking that it will be the generation that sees the temple be built. Because until the temple is built and the worship, the sacrifice is reinstated, nothing, none of these these uh, things can really truly be f- fulfilled. So, I, I, that's my own opinion. Some people may not think that, but, but uh, you know, I've never thought that before. But as I'm studying more and more, and I see what is happening, I think the generation that will see will not pass away is the one that sees the temple be rebuilt. We might see that. I believe, unless we're raptured, unless we're raptured beforehand, and I'll go. I believe, you know, I I believe in, and you know, um, now we could support this with scripture, his perfect foreknowledge, the Lord referring to the celebration of the budding fig tree as a symbol of the birth of Israel. We can, we can support that with. Uh, of what is happening. Uh, I've never really understood the fig tree and the budding other than just seeing the signs and seeing Israel become a nation. But uh, <clears throat> the Jews had for 2,000 years celebrated uh, the promise of the return to the land of Israel with representing the budding of the fig tree for the new state of Israel. And they weren't even... Messianic Jews. They were just Jews. So Jesus himself spoke of this. Now, peace was short-lived. And as some of my shows have stated, peace was short-lived for this new state. Immediately, seven Arab states refused. So this is a little little, little review on uh, the show I did about Jerusalem and, and dividing the land. This is a little bit of review, just so that you can kind of see, uh, so you can see what, uh, as we focus on Edom and the mountains of Israel, what it has to do with it in context of the bigger picture. So, seven state Arab states refused to honor the UN mandate and declared war upon the newly formed state. Israel by miracles and sheer courage, defended itself well and won the war, thus establishing herself among the nations. There was a serious loss, however. The Palestinian nation, then known as Transjordan, in an, as much as its borders ha- was across the Jordan River to the east, pressed across the Jordan River took most of the mountainous parts of the Holy Land, including all of the old city of Jerusalem with its temple mount. Transjordan then changed its name to Jordan, claiming property on both sides of the Jordan River. They divided the country into two parts, one called the West Bank of Jordan and the other Jordan proper. By annexing the newly called West Bank, they now controlled all of the ancient holy places of worship. It is 
and, and that's so strange how you never hear anything about these refugees. One reason is the sheer bias of Western uh, news sources. The other is that Israel did not leave the uh, the refugees, their refugees in camps for international propaganda ponds, as did Jordan. See, uh, you, if you hear about talking about the refugees that are from Jordan, the Palestinian refugees, this is a creation of UN. The UN is supposed to be taking care of them, and also the Arab states, who are not doing anything to get them out. Israel did not do that. They... Um, <clears throat> They found places for them in Israel to work. Uh, and then contrary to both Bible promises to the Jews, the Quran, in the Quran teaching, the Palestinian state of Transjordan committed both biblical and international transgression. Now, Jordan occupied the West Bank until 1967, and this is the, this is the whole battle here. They occupied the West Bank. It was given to Israel in uh, when they became a nation, and in 1922 and 1917 goes way back there. So Jordan actually occupied the West Bank until 1967. On June 6th of that year, once again, all the neighboring states around Israel declared war on Israel with the intent to destroy her. In six glorious days, Israel not only took all of the Sinai, the Golan Heights, and Gaza, but took back the West Bank from Jordan, including the city of Jerusalem and the Temple Mount. What? I said the Temple Mount. They actually had the Temple Mount in their possession at that time. Now, for 2,000 years, Jews around the world, when ending one of their celebrations, would go out face toward Jerusalem and cry out their greatest hope. Next year, Jerusalem. When the Israeli soldiers reached the western wall of the Temple Mount, they dropped their weapons and ran to the wall to pray and worship. They were at last realizing an ancient dream. In 1982, Israel declared Jerusalem as its capital forever. Now, you've got to understand that. In 1982, they said their capital forever and moved the center of its government to, the, to western Jerusalem. However, problems were just beginning for them. The UN immediately revolted and demanded that Israel give back the West Bank to Jordan, even though it was Jordan who had occupied the land, not Israel. Control of the Temple Mount was given back to Jordan, and terrorism reigned in the area. So Israel gave back the Temple Mount to Jordan when they had possession of it. The Arabs calling themselves Palestinians, so those are the Palestinians, are the Arabs, began to lay claim to Jerusalem and the West Bank. Israel has suffered in continual siege ever since. All of this is very important in consideration of Bible prophecy. In occupying the West Bank and commanding control over the Temple Mount, the Hasamites, kingdom of Jordan and its king stepped out of the shadows of obscurity and into the limelight of prophecy. By laying claim to the mountains of Israel, i.e. the West Bank, and taking authority over the Temple Mount, God and his word has been challenged, and his anger is soon to be known. 
All of this has set the stage for the final battle of the nations. But for the great day of God's final manifestation and glory. First, I want to draw our attention to identifying the West Bank in prophecy and, and show why we have, uh, we have been calling it the mountains of Israel and Judea and Samaria. Now, if you study the geological map of the Holy Land, which shows the mountainous portion, you will be startled to find uh, that your outline of the mountains of the area almost exactly match the lines of the territories known as the West Bank. It becomes evident then that the West Bank is in fact what the Bible speaks of as the mountains. A quick search of scriptures will reveal this to be so. And when we identify the prophetic scriptures that deal with the mountains of Israel, we discover some very interesting texts which must be applied to the West Bank of our day. For instance, we find that what might be called a blow-by-blow description of the very things that we are presently talking about taking place in the Holy Land as it relates to the West Bank. An example can be found in chapters 34 through 37 of the book of Ezekiel, and this is where we draw our attention to these few chapters, where the mountains of Israel are the specific subject of prophecy. Now let's examine those chapters more carefully. So note, first of all, that Mount Seir is the problem. In Ezekiel 35, verse 2 and 3, it says, Son of man, set your face against Mount Seir, prophesy against it, and say, This is what the Sovereign Lord says, I am against you, Mount Seir, and I will stretch out my hand against you and make you a desolate waste. Mount Seir is in the lower part of Jordan and was a term identifying the people of the area known as Jordan. This is Mount Seir's or Jordan's involvement with the mountains of Israel i.e. the West Bank. That is the subject of God's harsh judgment upon them. Let's look at some uh, very interesting parallels to these prophecies, to the events surrounding the the West Bank or the mountains of Israel today. In In chapter 34, verse 29, there's a specific prophecy, and it goes something like this. I will provide for them a land renowned for its crops, and they will no longer be victims of famine in the land or bear the scorn of nations. Now, it is during a time when Mount Seir is laying claim to the mountains of Israel, and God is promising special blessing. In a siege, when the people are starving in Jerusalem, God promises to send a special plant. And this is found in his book, uh, Rushing Towards Jerusalem, a plant of renown. And I tried to look this up, and it was very difficult to look up. Um, It was during Jordan's siege of Jerusalem in 1948 that starvation was being forced upon the Jews. Now, suddenly, a new weed began to grow all over the Jewish sector. It was a spinach-like plant, just like the British left forsaking Jerusalem to the Muslim horde, three days of rain fell unseasonably. The Kubiza plant sprang up everywhere. The book, O Jerusalem, this incident is recorded. The Jewish women are to have begun singing and dancing and saying, 
When he brought us out of Egypt, it was manna. Now he has sent rain for the cisterns and the kabiza. Verse 5 of chapter 35 speaks of the perpetual hatred found in the people of Jordan toward the people of Israel. Because you have harbored an ancient hostility and delivered the Israelites over to the sword at the time of their calamity, the time their punishment reached its climax. Literally, an ancient hate, Ezekiel 25.15, that old hate or ancient hostility is suggested. They were known as Philistines in, in the history of those. Um, Philistines had an ancient hatred in this ancient hatred of surrounding nations carried on into uh, the surrounding nations currently today. And it says in Ezekiel 25.15 that it was the Sovereign Lord, uh, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, because the Philistines acted in vengeance and took revenge with malice in their hearts and with ancient hostilities sought to destroy Judah. Perpetrated hate is a hate which is propagated by teaching purposely in, uh, purposely encouraged by those who intentionally and for their own benefit continue to, to perpetuate it. We can find that very hate represented in, in actions against the Jews in Israel today. Much of that hate is generated because of the mountains of Israel. Most of the terror and animosity in the Middle East can be directly related to the West Banked territories and Jordan, Mount Seir, is the focal point. For it was Jordan's hate of Israel that created the West Bank in the first place. Following are some quotations from the Ministry of Education in Jordan, which can be found quoted in the book, The Mountains of Israel, by Norma Archbold. It's a Phoebe's Song publication. Each of these quotations demonstrates the extreme hate perpetuated by Jordan. From a 1966 third-year junior high book, Modern World History, it says, The Jews in Europe were persecuted and despised because of their corruption, meanness, and treachery. From a 1964 first-year high school book called Glances at Arab Society, page 117, it says, Israel was born to die. From a 1963 edition of Religious Ordinances Reader, it says, the Jews, exiled and despised, since by nature they are vile, greedy, and enemies of all mankind. Found in a 1963 fifth-year elementary study of basic syntax and spelling, we see this. We shall expel all Jews. For example, analyze the following sentence. We shall expel all Jews from Arab countries. You can even put that in their English studies to identify a sentence. The book of Zionist Imperialism, page 249, teaches the ninth grade, ninth grade students this. Israel shall not live if the Arabs stand fast in their hatred. People all over the world have come to realize that Hitler was right and would, was right would have he finished the job. Let me say that again. People all over the world have come to realize that Hitler was right would that he had finished his the job. These quotations are only a small sample of a preponderance of evidence to show the perpetrated hate being propagated against the Jews in the whole of the Arab world today. 
and especially the West Bank. From these few quotations drawn from the school system of Jordan, we can quickly see an, ev an evident fulfillment of verse 5. We are told that the Palestinian authorities indoctrinated hate into children at day camps. A recent release from the B'nai B'rith International revealed a study of 68 Syrian school texts spanning grades 1 through 12. The study quoted scores of statements from the school text which taught children to hate Jews and Israel with a passion. This is especially disturbing when we realize that Syria chairs the UN Security Council and co-chairs the UN Human Rights Commission, which are headquartered in Geneva, Switzerland. We may find also from other sources the same perpetuated hate, especially is, is this hate propagated in the religious communities of Muslims. For example, Palestinian television broadcasts regular uh, calls from Muslim clerics to hate and destroy the Jew. From the mosque in Gaza, a Muslim minister, Sayyid bin Sultan al-Nayan, said, The Jews are Jews, whether labor or looted. They do not have any moderates or any advocates of peace. They are all liars. Oh, brother believers, the criminals, the terrorists are the Jews who have butchered our children or orphaned them, widowed our women and desecrated our holy places. They are the terrorists. They are the ones who must be butchered and killed. As Allah the Almighty said, fight them. Allah will torture them at your hands and will humiliate them and will help you to overcome them and will relieve the minds of believers. And then he said that the dowry of paradise was to, quote, Fight in the path of Allah and kill and be killed. Allah has purchased from the believers their persons and their property in return for the promise that they shall have paradise. For they fight in the cause of Allah and they slay the enemy in our slain. The Jews are the allies of the Christians. All of them are in agreement against monotheists. There is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his messenger. They, Jews and Christians, are against you, old Muslims. Have no mercy on the Jews, no matter where they are. Fight them. Wherever you, wherever you are, kill those Jews and those Americans who like them. One Palestinian woman re interviewed on uh, Palestinian TV said, All we, all we as is... All we ask is that the Arab countries stand by our side, give us weapons, and we, on our own, will kill them, slaughter them, all of them. All we ask is weapons, and we won't spare any single Jew. Again, in Ezekiel 35, verse 5, we find another interesting statement. It is said that Jordan had shed the blood of the children of Israel by the force of the sword in their time of calamity, because thou hast had a perpetual hate and hast shed blood of the children of Israel by force of the sword in the time of their calamity, in the time that they, their iniquity had an end. And I read from uh, the NIV and the King James, give you a kind of a different flavor. should have told you that before I share those scriptures. But this statement was to be at the time that God had forgiven the Jewish iniquity and brought judgment upon Israel to an end. 
Of course, this important statement uh, places this prophecy during the time of the people's return to the land. Now, what about the War of Independence that Jordan had its share of blame? The first 900 Jews to escape Romania tried to come into Palestine to avoid the German extermination camps. None other than Arafat, uh, who is the leader of Intifada and the Palestinian leader, um, his cousin refused them entrance into the land. They eventually ended up in Poland and died in the gas chambers. But in the West Bank and in Jerusalem, countless numbers of Jews were slain in Jordan's conquest of West of the West Bank. The unbelievable and uncalled for cruelty and hatefulness put upon the Jews by the Jordanian troops and sanctioned by the King of Jordan is beyond description. It has been documented in many books, including Dr. W. Cleon. Gorson's fine book, Fantastic Victory, the clapping of the hands and rejoicing over the devastation of the Jews among the hordes of Arabs is a reflection of that perpetuated hate. Just as we saw in the whole Muslim world as they rejoiced from Iran, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, and Palestine over the World Trade uh, Center destruction in uh, 2002. Their hate for both the Jews and Americans cannot be questioned. We can imagine that our God has not forgotten the shed blood of these hapless, unfortunate people, which was shed in the time of their calamity. God's judgment is plain, as we read in verse 6 through 9. Therefore, as surely as the Lord declares, Surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, I will give you over to bloodshed and it will pursue you. Since you did not hate bloodshed, bloodshed will pursue you. I will make Mount Seir a desolate waste and cut off from it all who come and go. I will fill your mountains with the slain. Those killed by the sword will fall on your hills and your valleys and all your ravines. I will make you you desolate forever. Your towns will not be inhabited. Then you will know that I am the Lord. An extremely interesting text grips our attention as we read further down the chapter. After those verses that tell of the tragedy to come when Mount Seir or Jordan tries to possess the mountains of Israel, God pinpoints the real irritation as far as he is concerned. And because though Jordan has said, shows the reason why they cannot have God's favor. The rest of the verse exposes their plot against the mountains of Israel. And it says, verse 10, because you have said these two nations and countries will be ours and we will take possession of them, even though I, the Lord, was there say that again, because you have said these two nations and countries will be ours and we will take possession of them, even though I, the Lord, was there. The word possess in Hebrew is yarash, which literally means to seize by force, drive out and take control of. 
This verse was fulfilled in 1948 and continues to be fulfilled again today as they are attempting, if not by mandates, by force, demanding possession of Jerusalem and the West Bank. In 1948, Jordan would not accept the UN mandate to establish a homeland for the Jews in Palestine and against all rights by force took possession of the mountains of Israel. At that time, Jordan made the boast that she would make these two countries mine. And today they are saying this again as they want not not only to return to the 1967 borders where they occupied the land, but also to the 1922 armistice line when they've uh, re- that they refused to accept uh, an offer made and agreed to by Israel in 1922. Now Israel does not agree to that anymore. Things have changed. And that's what they're trying to go back to. So we agree with it now. When Israel saying, no way. To their dismay, holding on to or trying to gain these territories will become an awesome burden precisely because the Lord was and is there. We can see this fulfillment in our day, in our time. Jordan and the Palestinians are now claiming that the Jews have no historical right to the land. They are alleging that the Muslims have always owned it. Some of their assertions from historic events which involve the past occupation of the land by various Gentile powers. For instance, the Egyptian embassy in Washington put forth the idea that Jews had no link to Jerusalem, advancing the idea that historical facts prove that Jerusalem has witnessed Arab urban and human stability since the year 3000 B.C., In 2500 B.C., descendants of the Jebusite Ben Canaan made the city his capital and called it Ur-Salem. The text goes on to mention that in 1479 B.C., the city came under the pharaohs who used, used to govern Palestine. Then a significant piece of propaganda appears in the Jerusalem Post in, in 2000 that says, since then, namely 600 BC, the political history of the Jews had ended in Palestine. We are hearing them say this today, that oh, they're, they're no longer in the land, they lost the land, and they're no longer there. Now with this kind of logic, the Palestinians are now claiming possession and ownership of the city of Jerusalem, not just the old city or the the east side, but all of Jerusalem and the West Bank by inheritance. So how perfectly does this fulfill what is stated in Ezekiel 36, verse 5? This is what the Sovereign Lord says. In my burning zeal, I have spoken against the rest of the nations and against all Edom, for with glee and with malice in their hearts, they made my land their own possession so that they might plunder its pasture land. Here, God accuses Jordan, the Idumeans, as having made my land their possession. The word possession here is different than the word in in verse uh, the 10th verse where it means to take force. Here, it is morasha, 
which literally means to possess by inheritance. Do you see how they first tried to possess it by taking over it by force, and now today they are trying to take it over by inheritance? That they said, we inherited it. It was always ours to begin with. Several other verses of prophecy foresee this same idea of possession in Ezekiel 11, for instance, and speaking of the days of the Jews returned from Gentile lands when they would be gathered and assembled out of the countries. Verse 17 says this, Therefore say, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I will gather you from the nations and bring you back from the countries where you have been scattered, and I will give you back the land of Israel again. And given, and they were given the land of Israel, in verse 15, it has a startling resemblance to the attitudes of the Palestinians today. It speaks of those inhabiting Jerusalem in, the day, in that day as saying, they are far away from the Lord. This land was given to us as our possession. In Hebrew, Moshara, Sha, says, <clears throat> Son of man, your brothers, your brothers who are your blood, relatives, and the whole house of Israel are those of whom the people of Jerusalem have said, I will make myself known among them, Israel, when I have judged thee, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord. The Lord goes on to reveal his cause for anger against them in verse 11, because of their envy which generated great hate against Israel. This is is one over 80 times in the book of Ezekiel where the Lord says, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord. God is going to make himself known very soon. All Israel and Jordan will know that he is there when he steps in and settles the problems over the possession of the territories known as the West Bank, but in fact are the mountains of Israel. In the present peace process, liberal Jews and secular government and a secular government first concerned about political ends and not biblical promises will negotiate the way, away the territories and yield control of Jerusalem as they have with the Temple Mount to Jordan. Now we're hoping, I'm hoping, that they will stand on biblical principles instead of caving to international pressure to concede control over the West Bank and East Jerusalem. We, I, I pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Um, for What it sounds like is that they will never give up Jerusalem again. But you have to understand that they have to gain the Temple Mount back. And so how that's going to happen, we're going to probably watch. If they cave, Jordan in turn will yield up sovereignty to the international community of nations or world government. All of this may be a show for peace uh, for them to do that. The only problem will be that it will be that it runs contrary to God's plan for the area. Heaven will come possession on any part of the Holy Land by any other than God's assignees as an encroachment upon what God call, calls my land. It will be known shortly that the Lord was and is there. Verse 10, verse 12 reveals God's awareness of all their blasphemies that they have spoken against the mountains of Israel, and particularly Jordan's boast 
they are given us to consume. And you will know that I am the Lord, for you have not followed my decrees or kept my laws, but have conformed to the standards of the nations around you. For centuries, the hate and animosity of the Arab for the Jew and the biblical promise concerning the land of Israel has inspired the Muslim hordes to consume the land. They have burned its trees, raped its land, and left total devastation. Their hate toward the God of Israel and his promises have been made very clear. In this verse, their only interest is the land in the land is to consume it. Verse 3 of the 36th chapter also shows that uh, shows their part in leaving the land desolate. Therefore prophesy and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says, because they ravaged and hounded you from every side so that you became the possession of the rest of the nations and the object of people's malicious talk and slander. Let's especially note verse 14 when the whole earth international community of nations or world government rejoices i will make you desolate right at the time when everything seems to be settled the international community of nations backed by the multinational forces has divided the land for gain in daniel 9:39 god will step in to take possession of his land and we'll see an exciting Way, how he's going to do that. Ezekiel 36.15 says, No longer will I make you hear the taunts of the nations, and no longer will you suffer the scorn of the peoples or cause your nation to fall, declares the Sovereign Lord. Thus shall he do in the most strongholds with strange God, whom he shall acknowledge and increase with glory, and he shall cause them to rule over many and shall divide the land for gain. That's Daniel 11.39. In chapter 36 of Ezekiel, the same subject continues. The time God is speaking, this time he is speaking to the mountains of Israel that are personified as if they could hear and respond. It says, ye mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Because the enemy, Jordan, has fed against you, Ah, even the ancient high places are ours in possession. Here again is the claim to inheritance. So here, this is Ezekiel chapter 36. It says, uh, even the ancient high places are ours in possession. Now, among those ancient, ancient high places is, of course, the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Jordan, to appease the UN, Europe, and the Arab interests, was given continued control over the Temple Mount in Jerusalem immediately after Israel's conquest to Jerusalem in 1967. Jordan was also promised continued control over the mount, even in the peace negotiations today. The late Yitzhak Rabin clearly stated that the same and riled, stated the same and riled the new Palestinian authority in Gaza and Jericho, who themselves are laying claim to Jerusalem as they, their capital and the Holy Mount as their rightful possession. And if you remember, Yitzhak Rabin was um, assassinated by his own people because he was giving away the land. It is worthy to note that the terminology in the prophecies rightfully reflects positions 
on the territories. At first, she she did not claim them to be right of inheritance or taking of possession or or historical grounds. Such claims would be futile. So, nor can uh, the Palestinians make any honest claim to the territories of any historic grounds. Never by any stretch of the imagination has Jerusalem ever been a capital of any state except the state of Israel. Historically, the mountainous country known as the West Bank has been exactly as the Bible states, the mountains of Israel. They are not the mountains of Palestine or the mountains of Jordan, as they would lay claim. God's intervention alone, however, will clearly demonstrate this, and we we are going to uh, watch this happen, I believe, in my lifetime. It is in the first, fifth verse, however, uh, that the gross error of the present claims of the territory is revealed in prophecy. Now, let's let us repeat for emphasis the word possession. Here is not the same as in verse 10 of chapter 35. Rather, the word yarash, that is possession by force, is is used. This word means to claim by inheritance, and we, we talked about that. At present, the resounding propaganda which the world seems to be swallowing up line, hook, and sinker is that the Jewish people never had a temple mount had a temple mount. The Jordanian Authority is allowing excavations to take place all over under the plaza of the temple mount, seeking to destroy uh, all archaeological evidence of Jewish presence on the mount. While even the Quran recognized a temple on the mount and Jewish presence there, the Palestinian hope is that the, a godless world, ignorant of Bible truth, will fall for this lie, and we have. Today, Palestinians have actually come from 29 different countries. Their presence in the land of Palestine, especially that portion controlled by Israel, only began when they moved there in the early part of this century to take advantage of jobs created by Jewish business, which were beginning to flourish in Israel. Any historical claim to the people in the land is contrary to history. In the late 1800s, hundreds. Um, as history supports, the land was totally desolate. Um, no one, including the shepherds, lived there. Ezekiel 36, verse 3, clearly foresees this very condition. The Lord says, because they have made you mountains of Israel desolate, because of this forsaken condition of the land, these people came in and swallowed you up on every side, thus clearly prophesying a claim to the land by all the countries around about, in verse 4. Only Israel and the Jews, the seed of Abraham, can historically lay claims to the land in the city of Jerusalem as a capital of their state, and especially the Temple Mount. Now note, in verse 6, God clearly associates the mountains of Israel with the land of Israel. It says, therefore prophesy concerning the land of Israel and say to the mountains and hills, to the ravines and valleys, this is what the sovereign Lord says, I speak in my jealous wrath because you have suffered the scorn of the nations. He continues in verse 7, the nations around you will also suffer scorn. 
In Ezekiel 36, verse 8, it says, uh, exposition, uh, expositions begin that leave no doubt about the time frame of all of these prophecies. They are set in the days of Israel's return to the land from Dispora. That is our time in our day. In the next few verses of this chapter, we have clear prophecies of the rebuilding of the land by returned Jews. In spite of present peace initiatives and promise of its autonomy for the mountains of Israel, the Israelis will continue to settle the West Bank. These prophecies certainly support that conclusion. And here we go. I'll listen to these prophecies. Yield your fruit, O mountains of Israel, to my people Israel, for they are at hand. I am for you, the Lord says. I will return you. The population of the Jews on the West Bank will continue to increase, not decrease. Also, according to verse 10, cities will be inhabited and waste places built. That is settlement. Israel right now is obeying the scriptures and fulfilling prophecy. Verse 11 makes another revealing prophecy. It says, I will settle you after your old estates. The NRV says it this way, but you, O mountains of Israel, will produce branches and fruit for my people Israel, for they will soon come home. I am concerned for you and will look on you with favor. You will be plowed and sown, and I will multiply the number of people upon you, even the whole house of Israel. The towns will be inhabited and the ruins rebuilt. I will increase the number of men and animals upon you, and they will be fruitful and become numerous. I will settle people on you as in the past and will make you prosper more than before. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So whoever is against this settlement, including the United States, is against God himself because he is the one that is allowing this establishment. Now, this statement clearly harks back to the former tribal arrangements that must assuredly include the mountains of Israel in the new nation of Israel. During the days of Joshua and the judges, the 12 tribes of Israel were allotted certain areas of the land. These allotments included all of the present West Bank. Verse 12 declares that the mountains of Israel or West Bank to be the inheritance of Israel and its future possession. According to this prophecy, the old estates will be allotted again. Now, for the, re- for the reason for the scattering of the people of Israel, their return and the occupation in the last days of the land is once again confirmed in the next verses. God promises to restore the land and the people uh, it come. His restoration comes into view in verse 24. I will increase the number of men and animals upon you, and they will be fruitful and become numerous. And I will settle people on you as in the past, and I will make you prosper more than before. Then you will know that I am the Lord. It bears repeating. Now, at this time, Israel will be sprinkled, a reflection back to the temple cleansing, a new heart and a new spirit, 
are given back to them, verse 25 and 28. And I will put my spirit in you and it will move on you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You will live in the land I gave your forefathers and will be my people and I will be your God. And God will make the mountains of Israel under their their care like the Garden of Eden. Verse 35 says this, They will say, This land that was laid waste has become like the Garden of Eden. The cities that were lying in ruins, desolate and destroyed, are now fruitful and inhabited. Verse 30, uh, chapter 37 contains more predictions on Israel's new birth, resurrection, and return in the great analogies of Ezekiel's boneyard. Uh, the dry bones, picturing in dramatic terms Israel's return. I love that chapter of the dry bones. It also sees both the house of Judah and the house of Israel combined together into one nation. Again, the spirit is quick to confirm that their unified nation to include the mountains of Israel or the West Bank. And I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel. Amen. Today, true to these prophecies, we see all the tribes of Israel represented and united in the modern state of Israel. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Verse 25 confirms the earlier covenant made with Jacob and gives them all the land promised to him. They will live in the land I gave to my servant Jacob, the land where your fathers lived. They and their children and their children's children will live there forever, and David, my servant, will be their prince forever. Verse 26 uh, speaks of a new covenant that will allow the building of the temple again. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant. I will establish them and increase their numbers, and I will put my sanctuary among them forever. Amazing how the sanctuary is the center of Israel and the worship and presence of God. My dwelling place will be with them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Of course, if the temple is to be rebuilt, it cannot be built other than the holy mount. Thus, the situation in the Middle East is far from settled. Israel is being forced into a bogus peace peace, uh, with known terrorists. They are being forced to give away land rightfully promised them. This is clearly contrary to God's plan for the territories. Uh, Mr. Perez... uh, Years ago, it envisioned a confederation between Israel and Jordan with the, with the Palestinian state. And he said this. Everybody knows this is the solution, he said in a recent uh, in a interview in 1993. In declaration text of the peace initiative, Rabin promised to vigorously continue negotiations to arrive to, to a state of peace based on Security Council Resolutions 242 and 338 in all their aspects and founded on freedom, equality, and justice. It will be recalled that these resolutions demand a complete or unilateral withdrawal from the West Bank, as was called for with the Golan Heights and Gaza. It is clear that Rabin intended to give back all these territories. In doing so, he was contrary to God's plan. The Jerusalem Post stated, international community will opt for a Jordanian-Israeli solution for the future of terrorists. Remember, as my show is coming to an end, 
says, remember, Ezekiel 35.10, because you have said these two nations and countries will be ours and will make the possession of them, even though I, the Lord, was there. These negotiations may be right by international law or by the world community, but they are not right by the Lord. In Joel 3.2, God clearly declares that he has a problem with the people who are in my land. I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. They will enter into judgment against them concerning my inheritance, my people Israel, for they scattered my people among the nations and divided up my land. And in Amos 1.3, we read concern Jordan, here called Ammon. I will not turn away the punishment thereof because they have enlarged their border. It is obvious both by prophecy and by a diplomatic process in the area at present that Jordan and Israel will be forced into an agreement over the West Bank as we see happening now. It is also obvious by prophecy that Israel must eventually possess the mountains of Israel. So, my name is Brenda Johnson, and what a field show. I want to thank you for joining me. If you want to contact me, you can contact me as uh, on uh, as the day approaches uh, at mediacombb.net. You can uh, write me. You can find me on Facebook. You can see me post things in Prophecy Zone um, and other various uh, Facebook places. Thank you for joining me, and I hope you join me next week as we are going to. We are going to study Jerusalem. We're going to focus on Jerusalem and see the war between Palestine and Israel for Jerusalem and what that means. Thank you, and stay tuned for next week's episode. God bless, and may the Lord fill you with joy, and may you seek him more than anything else in this world. Bye for now.